Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is the nature of the paranormal different in the American Southwest than it is here in New England? Is the nature of UFOs changing? When dealing with the paranormal, how do you keep your imagination or your ego from running away with you? Greetings and welcome to the 585th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those uh, flagrant questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening we bring you a new guest with local connections, but far-flung paranormal experiences. And uh, we welcome your calls this evening. The numbers are 800-449-1240, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and 401-766-1240, that is locally. Also, we will monitor emails. Paul, uh, excuse me, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com is uh, what you're going to want to email your questions to. Tina Marie Cowett is a native of Massachusetts, but moved to Las Vegas in 2008. There followed a number of UFO experiences that changed her life. Tina has since become a novelist, her first one being Alien Deceptions, published in 2011. She believes she has discovered the truth behind these phenomena. Tina is also well-known, especially in the Southwest. She spent several years with Las Vegas UFO hunters and helped start Majestic 12 TV. She was executive producer for all content and shows. Uh, She spent off hours as an investigator for uh, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and she handled many cases in the Las Vegas area, which has been a hotbed of UFO activity for many decades. In 2012, Tina went to work for KDWN 720 Radio in Las Vegas. There she handles most of the on-air board work as well as uh, occasionally produces live shows. Today, Tina hosts the show Restricted Airspace on KWDN, which, like our show, covers all things paranormal. It airs every Friday night at midnight Pacific, Sta- excuse me, <coughs> Pacific Standard Time. It's 3 a.m. here in the East. It's two hours long and is the number one paranormal show in the Las Vegas Valley. And Tina uh, gives us her website, uh, tinamarieentertainment.com. So, Tina, excuse me. Tina Marie Kawai, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, welcome, guys. It's uh, nice to actually talk to you. I've been following you guys for years. Yes, yeah, so many people think we're mythical. Yes, yes. <laughs> but but that's very kind of you to say. Thank you, Tina. Okay, well, so... And you're, on, you're, on, you're on coast to coast tonight, too, so congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been about four years since I've been on coast. Uh, you're... My son here is, I believe, the youngest uh, guest they ever had. He's been on twice. Yeah, except I, I sort of... Uh, I, I he went of, and got old on us. Yeah, I got... I, well, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I, got, I got too tired. I couldn't deal with being up till 5 in the morning. What do you think it makes me feel? Anyway, it's worth it. <laughs> That's 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 true. All right, so let's let's start off with a little little something simple, a little something local. So, where in Massachusetts are you from? You know, I grew up in Central Mass, which is if you take Worcester and you go straight up north, little Winchenden Gardner area, right on the New Hampshire borderline. Uh, what's interesting is when I was a child, I had an experience there, um, but I kind of forgot about it, blew it off, didn't think anything of it. Um, until I started to come out here, and my experiences, that's one of the reasons why I got into the Andreessenism, you know, effect, uh, because her experience took place in Ashburnham, which is only like 10 miles away from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of interesting. It's just, and it was listening to the commercials before coming on here, um, you know, being a native of the New England, Massachusetts area, it's, it's kind of... Um, 
kind of refreshing to hear. Thank you. <laughs> well, I couldn't believe the forecast, actually, the temperatures, compared to what we've been through this winter. I'm sure you've heard from friends and relatives here, but um, it's good. No, it's always good to have someone local on. It's too bad you weren't going to be. Uh, when you're up here, let us know, because we'd like to have you in studio. Yeah, do you okay. know what happened? Is we, we were scheduled to be in studio with you, and then the charity event that I was coming back for, they bumped it out from the um, the 3rd to the ninth. I think it was because they got wind that the Pacquiao fight was going on. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, event. yeah. So they wanted to bump out the charity event. So, you know, I got, I got, I got bumped for a fight. Go figure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got preempted for the, what was the Red Sox? Not the Red Bruins. Sox. The Bruins one time. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, so to continue with our questions, Ben, take it away. So what was the, the big UFO experience you had uh, when you first moved to the Las Vegas area? Um, it happened just, just after around, like, 2008, early 2009. The first experience, the first conscious thing I remember is just going outside. For some reason, and it was like January, I just felt the need to go outside. I go outside, I look up, and I see this light in the sky. Now, at this point, you have to understand that I, I had no interest in the paranormal at all. I, had, I wasn't, you know, watching UFO shows, grabbing UFO books. You know, people who have experiences do that. Well, even though I had experiences as a child, I kind of just completely forgot about them and had no interest. And I'm standing outside looking. I see this light come across the sky. And the first thing I thought was, oh, cool, look, satellite. And it just stopped. And then I was like, well, that's not right. <laughs> so, and it got brighter. And, it, and what I mean by brighter is it looked like it was coming down, and as it came down, it got brighter to the point where I put my hand up to block it because it was like looking into the sun. It was extremely bright. And then it disappeared. In just a second, the light just flashed out, disappeared, went straight up, gone. Okay. You know, I came in, I'm like, oh, my God, what did I just see? That's just really weird. And it was that night I went to bed, and my book, Alien Deceptions, it was almost like somebody took a DVD and put it in my head. Now, at this point, I had never written anything. I was not a writer. I had no interest in writing. Um, and this whole thing came into my head. But, again, it's not being a writer. Just, I just kind of forget about it. Over the next week is when I started having the really weird things happen. Um, I couldn't sleep, very restless. I just, I felt like there was something around me, but I couldn't quite put my fingers on it. It was little, I could hear these voices in my ears. Um, and it was, it was almost like you're trying to tune in an AM station and you can't quite get it, so you catch a word here, word there. That's what I was getting. It was just driving me nuts. To the point I was about ready to commit myself because I thought I was just having this nervous breakdown and I was cracking. I'm like, something is wrong. And that is when I had um, what I consider the first of 12 experiences to this day, where I was taken off-world. And I was laying down. I couldn't sleep. I looked up to my left, and I noticed, I thought it was, the light from the, um, the smoke alarm. And it started getting brighter. And then it was almost like a cool breeze, but it was like a static charge. Like I could just feel like your, your hair stand on edge, like... If you rub a balloon on your hair and your hair starts to stand up, that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, we know that feeling. Getting, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're a ghost hunter, so you know, yeah. And it started coming towards me, and it gets bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, I just remember falling, you know, like passing out, falling asleep, and waking up in what I want to, I, I say it's a, a medical room, it wasn't a big room maybe 12 feet by 16 feet. I was definitely sitting on a metal table. I remember looking out, and there was a gentleman 
um, in a white coat across from me. He looked human, but what I the eyes. The eyes are what got me. Um, they weren't like glowing, but they were translucent, like a bluish type translucent. And I just noticed that there was, I was kind of scared, but there was a feeling of like, okay, don't be scared, it's okay. And it was when um, I started getting nervous because he turned around, he had something in his hand, and I just, I didn't know what it was, and I was, okay, I'm just having a dream, I'm having a dream. And this girl came in from the only door I remember seeing, which was to my right, she walked in, and she said, you're not dreaming, um, We've got to give you a shot in order for you to spend any time up here. Now, I hate needles. And she mentioned the word shot, and I was about ready to, I'm like, where can I get out of here? This is a horrible dream. She said, this isn't a dream. She goes, we need to give you this shot. It needs to raise your vibrational frequency um, in order for you to spend any time up here because we've got a pretty neat gift we want to give you. And she touched me on the shoulder, and as soon as she touched me on the shoulder, I just, I had this immense feeling like, Everything is going to be just fine. And the doctor came over. I, I, I considered him a doctor. It's kind of what he looked like. And gave me a shot in my, my left leg. And to this day, I still have the mark. And what was interesting is they gave me the shot. She said, you're going to find some really neat changes with this, and we'll talk again. And next thing you know, I woke up, and I'm on the couch. Now I'm thinking, okay, that was a really weird dream until I looked down at my leg and there was a little blood on my leg and right where they gave me the shot, there was a mark. And I freaked. I just, I completely lost it. I had a doctor's appointment two days later. I'm like, okay, I can't go in and say, all right, you can't go in and tell your doctor. (laughs) I think I was abducted by aliens because they're going to write you a prescription to the funny farm. So I just asked her, I said, can you do me a favor? Can you just take a look? I think it's like an ingrown hair in my leg. And she looked at it and she says, did you recently get a shot with like one of those you know, power injection type needles? And I'm like, no. You know, and I kind of played it off, but that's kind of what it was. It looked like a little gun and it was just a little, like a little burst of air. And that's what I had in my leg. Well, what's interesting about this whole shot thing is I was told later on in my visits that the shot, one of the positive things is since I've got that shot, which was January of 2009, I have not been sick a day. Not a cold, not a sniffle, not a flu. I've been around people with the flu, like, breathe on, breathe on, nothing. So that that was the first, you know, conscious memory of being taken off world um, before I met with the person I consider well I call the elder um, the girl is called Amy um, those are the two that I mainly dealt with while I was up there and it's so hard because you know as an investigator and I got into investigating because of these experiences and it's very hard to try to explain to people who are either skeptic or, or really non-believers that you know, I'm a, I'm kind of a. I want to use the word. I don't want to use the word skeptic because I think it's a negative term. But you know, I do look at things differently now than I probably would have. If you would have told me back in 2007, you know, UFOs are real. You know, people have been abducted. I've been, I would have been like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now that what happened to me 
it's hard to, when people say, well, how do you know what happened? You know, can you prove it? Can you show us a dead alien body? Show us a sonic screwdriver? Show us something. And when you can't physically show or produce the evidence, it's very, very frustrating because you, you know people are looking at you like, oh, it's just the crazy girl in the room. Hey. So, I mean, you've talked to enough abductees, and I don't use that word. I always use the word contactee. Um, because to me, abductee is taken um, all the time without free will. I was given the chance. If I wanted to, I could have turned it down. So I don't. I use the word contactee. And over the last few years, when you sit and you talk to other contactees and other abductees who have had negative experiences or positive experiences, you know that. I mean, I know I can pick up now on people who have had an experience. Because there's an emotion, there's a, a fear, there's a connection that you have with these people. Um, so you can tell people who are just looking for the 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. People who really, really had the experience are just looking for answers. All right. Well, Tina, uh, several questions arise. Ben has a question, but I, I just uh, have uh, one or two of my own. Please, the, the floor is yours. Okay. Thank you, son. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Tina, the, uh, there, there seem to be similarities to other reports of abductions we've heard. Uh, neither of us has ever had any experience like that that I know of anyway. I don't know, maybe Ben has. <laughs> but he uh, never, I, have, I have not. He never told me. That I know of. Yeah. But in any case, the, one thing that stands out is the idea that you um, uh, remembered consciously uh, without apparently hypnotism. Is the station burning down? No. <laughs> Hypnotism. I wouldn't that? joke about that. No, <laughs> no. Okay, sorry. Uh, anyway, did you ever have any um, uh, problem remembering these this this experience? That, that strikes me as a little different. You know, what was interesting is over my experiences, um, I remember bits and pieces, and I would come back and I start. The, the more I was taken, the more I came back, would take notes and start remembering stuff. And there is there's, there's sections that I that I know are missing. There's there's parts of the experience that I know happened that I can't recall. I know they're there. Um, so when I tell people certain things that I experienced, I think they were. The, my feeling is it was what they allowed me to come back to remember. I honestly believe there's more information. I've just, I've never done the regression. I've thought about it. But when I've talked to a few people who've done a regression, one of the things that they, you know, they all told me is sometimes there's a reason why they block certain things. Either mentally, you know, we're not capable of handling certain things or they don't want certain things revealed. And what they said is, you know, maybe your experience wasn't positive. Maybe, maybe your interpreting it as positive and maybe it was negative. I, I certainly hope not. I don't want to find that out. But they said, if you do the regression, you have to understand that you're opening those floodgates and you can't, it's like Pandora's box, you can't put it back in once you open them. Yeah, that, that's so, kind of, uh, we have heard that sort of thing. Uh, the, well, the question of hypnotism is is an open one, I think. It was very popular when I started out in the 70s and then was... Uh, Sort of fell into disrepute to some degree, and then was rehabilitated. And now it's 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 being used. So, assuming that that uh, 
sort of aggression or, or hypnotic aggression is, is legitimate. Uh, we have heard from people who have had it, have had seemingly positive experiences or uh, just experiences that they remembered, and they uh, seem to open the doors to, as, as you say, uh, experiences that they did not remember you know, once they had the hypnosis. But uh, be that as it may, let me ask you this. Uh, who were they? Okay. What do you mean by um, alien? Well, the, the two... The two people that I dealt with most, you know, I know I, I, I crossed paths while I was up there with others, but the two main people that I, my memory remembers is the person I consider the elder. Um, they both had human form, but again, it, I don't want to say they were Nordic looking, but they were like that, but there was, uh, there was, their eyes were the most catching thing because they ha- were, had this like very translucent, I guess you could almost, you know, like if you look at the tail end of like the Millennium Falcon, the exhaust is like kind of really sparkly type, like a bluish white type. Well, that's kind of what their eyes eyes were. Um, but I had the impression that this these, these human bodies that they were representing were for my benefit. Um, I, I the more I look back, I, I think they were more. I don't want to say light beings uh, because I think when you when you get into that then you start getting into a whole different area of paranormal. But they kind of felt like that. The only thing I can say is with the elder, um, when I first met him and I was brought into this room, this conference room, and, and the reason why I know they were um, alien in nature because they first showed me, uh, when I met the elder, that he brought me over and he, waved his hand on the screen and this giant wall was like an aluminum type wall that looked aluminum um, but it was the wall in this conference room this is where we always met and he kind of waved his hand and there was a screen up there and he said just watch and learn now he never spoke and what this is interesting with him is um, he thinks or he feels human um, communication is a very primitive form of communication so he doesn't use vocal at all it's all in your head telepathy, where Amy, because she's younger um, and been around this planet um, longer than the elders, she's been around the planet longer than the elders, the elders older than she is. She spoke English, but it was a really weird English. It was almost like a a broken English, a perfect English, uh, like if you went back in the 1600s, you know, 1500s. Her pronunciations of words was accurate, but there was no... When people talk here, they talk with uh, either accents or affluences where you, you'll have highs and lows. Hers was very monotone, very even keel. The sentence structure was almost too perfect. Um, and then sometimes it was very short. But she spoke, she would communicate back and forth with me to English, but she also did telepathy as well. Okay. And whenever the elder wanted to make on a point, it wasn't just in your head. It was like a scratch and sniff 4D effect. I mean, it was as if you were right there in the moment. And they showed me my, my childhood. And that's when I started having, that's when the conscious memories of experiences I had as a child happened, where I grew up in a very Catholic family. So my parents always just, oh, it's just your imagination. Oh, you're just seeing angels. You know, just, it was never UFOs. Alien. That was never discussed as a kid. Well, may I ask you? I, sorry to cut you short. I just want to talk about other things too. But 
Before we leave that subject, do you think that the guardian angel uh, idea that little Catholic children are always taught is a folkish veneer for some reality that involves these whoever they may be or whatever they may be looking in on us now and then and kind of doing what they were doing with you if if it was a legitimate experience? You know, I, I honestly feel that that a lot of people from a childhood age, whether they have imaginary friends, uh, whether they see things, like you said, angels or um, stuff along that line, you know, a lot of the paranormal or the ufology has switched to the um, either interdimensional beings or, you know, they're, they're no, not really ETs, they're more ghosts or apparitions. Um, but I honestly believe a lot of people who come from religious families are having experiences and they are interpreted as guardian angels, angels, um, you know, words from God or whatever that's put into their head because when you start adding religion into this field, um, it's very hard for somebody who is in any form of religion to step back and say, aliens exist. Yeah, because yeah. Because no, see your point. Their, their own faith. Yeah. So I think was it, as a kid, your parents are going to tell you what it is. Now, growing up, when I was a kid, we didn't have access to what these kids have now, which is all this information on the Internet. Had I had that as I was a little bit older, and as, as more socially accepted the paranormal ufology is, even on TV, mm-hmm. um, I might have looked into things differently. But I just kind of like blew it off and said, you know what, I just don't want to deal with it. <laughs> Mm. No, a lot of people do that, yeah. So Ben has a question. So have you ever asked yourself, why you? Every single day. Have they ever given you an answer? You know, what they try to tell me is there's two reasons why they contact people. One is they are following a particular particular genetic trait for whatever reason they're following. They never went into detail with me on that. What they did say is, but they also contact people for what they consider their version of disclosure. Um, The way the elder tried to explain it to me is, there are certain people that we feel, and I'm like, and I couldn't understand this because when he says, you know, we feel, he was assuming that he had seen my future, which makes sense to me that certain people can handle what would be thrust upon them, and certain people can't. And they look for certain people that they know that will have an influence on others and be able to handle the backlash that comes from them. Um, and, and trust me, I tell people, knowing what I know now, not just from people not in ufology, but from people within ufology, I would never have opened my mouth <laughs> and yeah, said yeah. I had an experience because it's not something it's not something I would even wish on my worst enemy because when you go through it you are looked at it under a microscope everything you say everything you do um, you know you have people who are skeptics who like I said they, you know you could throw a, a dead alien body in front of them in a UFO and they'd still tell you this isn't real you're mm-hmm. making this up no that's true so yeah. that's I think the toughest thing is you know, and I think I understand now more because there are days I sit there and go, I, I cry. I go, why, 
why me? I can't take this anymore. I'm going insane. Stop. And, you know, I'll have to feel months. I've had, you know, six, seven, eight months spells where absolutely nothing. Um, well, the, the, one of the reasons I ask the question is, is because we, and especially me over all the years, have run into many cases where people are, are convinced uh, that these things are what they appear to be. And, and they may very well be, but they may, may very well not be. And there are situations where I've known they were dealing with, with what we refer to as a parasite, something that is a mimic, as in any other part of nature, and uh, they were still convinced these were enlightened masters or some kind of thing, and there was an ego uh, factor involved. I'm not saying there is with you. I'm just saying with the people we've we've uh, I've worked with in There's the past. There's a lot of ego in ufology. Well, there is, yes, unfortunately, <laughs> and it, it clouds the issue. But um, I mean, what say you to that? How do you know that these beings are what they appear to be? I'll tell you. And are not playing you like a fiddle. No, I'll tell you how I know. Because a lot of people who have had experiences don't like when I speak, if I go to an event. Because one of the first things I say to them, I say, those of you that are coming here listening to me speak, I said, if I was in your chair, before I even say a word, I would be looking at me, I would be analyzing everything I say, and I would say, listen, this is nothing more than a great fiction book. Okay. And I have to accept that. I have to accept that that what I experienced might not have been a positive effect. You know, effect. What I what I experienced may not be real. Deep down inside, I can't change what happened. I know without a doubt what happened. But at the same time, I understand the, the skepticism. I understand people saying, "Well, you know what? Maybe it was this." How do you know? And I'm like, "Listen, I don't know how I know. I just know." And I, my job is not to convince anybody. You can believe me or not believe me. I don't. It, to me, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, I'm not out to you know send a message, and I don't want to be on fifteen thousand TV shows, and, and all. I don't want that. I think most people that I've talked to or contact you have experiences. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't want that. They don't want a book deal. They don't want TV specials. What they want is answers. They yes, want justification. Yes. They want. They want a UFO to come down and their, their friends to show up and walk down the main street with them and say, see, I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only thing I can tell people that, you know, I know a lot of experiences when I tell them that, I'm like, listen, I, I have to I have to say this as a investigator myself. Okay. So All right, well, that's proof. fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break now. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno. WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, where all of a sudden it's summer after a winter like we've had. We'll be right back with Tina Marie Cowett. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Bob Vila, and I'm going to level with you. I've got your home improvement tip of the day right here. The Bob Vila Home Improvement Tip of the Day can be heard every day on ON 1240, WON Woonsocket Radio at 745. And it's brought to you by DNS Painting of Woonsocket. They are Rhode Island's trusted choice for residential painting. Okay, we usually talk about our charities at this point, and we have an important new one we want to discuss with you, but that'll be toward the end of the show. We want to continue our um, discussion here on Behind the Paranormal with Tina Marie Cowett. New England native and Las Vegas radio star at this point. So, Tina, well, let's move on to the uh, this uh, this subject now. As we planned 
this show, you mentioned that there might be some changes going on at Area 51, which isn't far from Las Vegas by the standards of that part of the country. And uh, first of all, for listeners who might not know, uh, why don't you begin by telling us what is Area 51 and what's changing? Okay, well, um, there, there's been a lot of interesting changes out there. You know, Las Vegas is about 90 miles outside of Area 51. Um, a lot of people call it, you know, you know, Groom Lake, Dreamland, all this stuff. It used to be called the Nevada Test Site. And uh, when it first started in '54, it was run um, by the Air, uh, by, by the CIA, and then the Air Force took it over um, in the early uh, early '70s, mid '70s, and just recently, last summer, the CIA has now taken back over Area 51. So the Air Force is no longer the controlling body out there. A lot of some of the a lot of the stuff the Air Force is working on has been since moved out of that area. It is now actually called the Nevada Security Site. Really? And you know this for... How, how do you know this? Um, well, first of all, it's, it's listed. They just It wasn't publicly known, um, but it was listed with the just outside the town of Rachel, the, the area outside of Rachel. Yeah. They changed the name in order to um, document it for the tax purposes. Oh. Um, in order to... So what, it was just a little slip that most people didn't catch. One of my contacts inside the base told me this was happening, told me kind of why it was happening. Um, everything in there has since gone black. Nothing there is um, nothing there is is owned by the military. It's all NSA. They have been more Janet flights coming and going out of McCarran than ever before. Yeah, the, the, those are those are flights. Remember, I, I watched those one day. Uh, McCarran International Airport is right next to the pretty much the Strip in Las Vegas, and there's a yep. there are unmarked planes. All they have, at least when I saw, just red stripes on them with no company markings, nope. and they they fly out of there every day yep. to no tail numbers, no no, uh, no nothing. Yeah, which is very strange. Uh, and uh, supposedly that they bring workers to this secret base about 90 miles away. Uh, where I got chased across the desert in 2005, that's another story. <laughs> but um, in any case, uh, th- th- I just wanted to explain that to the listeners. Uh, uh, go ahead, uh, Tina. Yeah, we, we call them just another non-existent transport. That's yeah, what we call them. And they call them Janet's flight, yeah. Right. And they do, they fly out multiple times, almost, almost, I mean, there's like a schedule that they fly out. They come in and fly out um, 24 hours a day now. Everything that you still have, like Lockheed Martin and all them, all the special interest groups, if you want to call them that. Um, yeah, there are a lot of contractors there. involved there, yeah. Very lot of contractors. But what was interesting is Rachel, Nevada, which is where a lot of some of the people who were working there at the time lived, they had a population, not a big one, about 98. Well, that population has almost been cut in half. A lot of the military people that were there have since either retired or moved on because everything is now controlled by the CIA. Well, when I was there, like 30 to 35 percent of them of the residents had cancer. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's true too. That there was, but those people have uh, long since gone. A lot of the people, again, that were there uh, were military. Um, you know, you meet some interesting folks when you go out there and you hang out, and they they start to trust you. Yeah, I know. If you go out there the first time and they don't know who you are, I mean, I've like I said I have some great contacts out there because I've been going so long I know if they tell me stuff and they say listen you can say this but you can't say this I get it um, 
So they kind of open up, and you buy them a few drinks. Sometimes they'll open up a little bit more. Uh, but they are very close guarded of what is talked about out there. But they just built a brand-new um, seven-layer, uh, seven-floor, six of them underground, uh, huge, huge hangar off of one of the runways. And that was right around the Area 51 part. But they also built, they're building another one out by the S4 facility as well. So there's a lot of construction for aircraft, but there's no known um, aircraft that the military is currently working on that's being tested out there. Well, when I was in the military, it was it was sort of generally understood that there were that they're about ten years ahead technologically of what the public knows, and and this this Area 51 or whatever they they may call it. Uh, in any context, uh, was an area where the stealth fighter was developed. For example, that was a, that's a fact. So that this place does exist, and uh, secret um, uh, aircraft are developed there. But there are there is suspicion that, that other things are going on there as well. Right. So, well, uh, you have to understand the stealth aircraft was built in like seventy seven, seventy eight out there. That's in right. Eighty. That that was the F one seventeen. Yep. So that's yep. the early eighties. We're talking thirty four years later, and and they just retired that plane, you know, eight nine years ago. So, realistically, they are anywhere from 50 to 75 years more advanced of what's going on out there than we are currently using here in the pocket. Very possibly. You know, I'll tell you, Tina, at first I thought that the whole UFO, not the whole UFO story, but much of it in your area was just to deflect attention from the secret you know, air- aircraft development out there, which is a, which is a standard technique. Uh, in, in intelligence work. However, you know, when I got out there and I saw, you know, all the, these white vehicles with government plates, 18-wheeler trucks and stuff in the middle of the desert, you know, so, something's cooking there. I don't know. <laughs> you know better than I do, but... Uh, well, you know, I, I took um, Joey Essex and a film crew out there from... Uh, from Great oh, we were going to ask you about that. Yeah, what happened with that? Yeah, I took them out there, and what's interesting is they don't, they don't show a lot of it. They show a little bit, but they don't show a lot. We were at the, what they call Campfire Hill, which is, you go down Groom Lake Road, it's about 12.8 miles on your right. It's about a mile away from the border. That's about as close as you can get. Yeah, I know where it is, yeah. Uh, well, we were out there, we were filming. We were, they were going originally, Joey and the film crew were going to stay the night there. I said, well, it's great if you guys stay the night. It was a Wednesday night. I said, Thursday morning, a lot of times you get the B-2 spirits coming over. If you've never seen those in action, they look like an alien craft. They do maneuvers on Thursday morning. You might catch a glimpse of them. I said, but I'm going to warn you. I said, you're with me. I said, we've already been contacted by the, you know, the camel dudes. I said, I'm telling you, they're going to come harass you. No, they didn't believe me. We weren't even five minutes setting up a camera in that location, and one of the white SUVs, the camel dudes, yeah. comes about eight feet away from us, just stops. Can't see in the window, and just kind of revs his car a little bit, and then they just drove off. Well, one of the guys picked up his camera and decided to start filming it. Oh, boy. You turned real yep. quick, came over, stopped, and just started, they just really revved the edge, and they kicked up dirt intentionally at, at, towards these cameras. And I, you know, <laughs> and then about half an hour later, they came back again. Then they parked across the hill area, which shined the light towards us, and this went on, oh, about seven or eight times. Well, by the eighth time, half the, well, by the fourth time, half the crew was like, this is we don't want to be here. They left. There was a very small crew there, and I was sitting there with Joey. And then when they came by about the eighth time, Joey's like, I, I can't. I go, Tina, you're leaving. You're not staying here. I don't feel safe. If you're, you're here, you know, because what was funny is 
one of my contacts is security out there. He was in special forces, uh, does security out there. But I never know when he's on. I don't know him, you know, to say, hey, you know, pick up and say, hey, let's go have coffee. But the seventh time that they came by, they were parked right by us, and I just kind of waved at the truck, and the truck honked, and they drove off. And everybody in the film crew looked and goes, do you know them? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, you know, and they, they drove off, but they were constantly coming and, and harassing the film crew, and, and the film crew was so scared that we left, I think it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, they're like, if you're, if you're not going to stay here with us, we don't want to be here, because I said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, I said it's your word against theirs. They shoot you. <laughs> you know, they uh, yeah, you. it's true. No, I, I was told what could have happened to me. I don't know, but um, let's uh, move into talking about your books, Tina. Uh, we were intrigued by the title "Alien Deceptions." Uh, what's the deception? I know it's a work of fiction, but what, there's always some kind of rationale behind the, the, what we name our books. Right. Well, you know, alien deceptions came on basically. Um, you know, we all have a, a facade. Sometimes we all have a, a face that we project, which is not the true us sometimes. Um, and I honestly think that there's a, there's a part of our government that likes to have that deception that, um, you know, oh, we don't, we don't know anything about UFOs, yet they do. Um, but then you also have the aspect with the aliens. Um, you know, there are, just like there are with us, there's good and there's bad, and sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two because the lines cross. Yeah, um, no, no, I, I, I know what you mean. Book, I had a lot of, um, I had a contact, well, this is the interesting story about this book is, although it's a book of fiction, and I, I did it that way purposely because I was getting into ufology, I was making all these contacts, I started getting, I had a, I was given a contact that worked up at the base. And it was all of a sudden, um, I was given some information. And I started throwing some stuff in my book about, you know, Area 51 and things like this that I was giving. Because I was kind of naive. I didn't know. It's a book of fiction, right? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not walking a nonfiction. It's a book of fiction. Who cares? Mm -hmm. And I was coming home from a UFO group at 2 o'clock in the morning. And a black SUV in front of me, a black SUV behind me, pulled me over on the 15 South. Now, at 2 o'clock in the morning, there's not many cars. I was freaking out. I'm like, okay, well, I wasn't speeding. What's going on? When the guy comes out, he was wearing a suit. Didn't show a badge or anything, and he knew my name. He said, Miss Tina Marie, uh, you have some very interesting um, stuff that uh, you have in your book. I said, We're, you're going to get home. There's going to be an email. We're going to ask you to take it out. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a book of fiction. I mean, come on. What, what, who are you? And they're like, it's not your business who we are. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to question. There's like six people, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm not questioning these guys. And I was like, you know, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. I got home, and my contact for the base, the only thing I knew was he was a test pilot. He tested stuff out there, but he also flew out of Nellis. Um, I emailed him when I got home. His email came back as invalid. That's weird. Sure enough, the email was, here's certain things we want you to take out of your book. And when I had asked them that there, I said, well, why do I have to take it out of the book? And they said, listen, although it's a book of fiction, people are going to read into it and they're going to look into stuff and we don't want them looking into it. So you're going to be asked to take it out. If you don't want to take it out, that's fine. We're just going to let you know that accidents happen all the time out here in Vegas. 
Gee, I wish people paid that much attention to my books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I when the following day, again, I didn't know this guy's first or last name from the base. I just knew him through emails and through different contact channels that I had, but I, I didn't know him personally. I read 36-year-old pilot, died of a heart attack while working out at Nellis Air Force Base. I went, what? Well, that kind of spooked me a little bit. The following day I came home, and every single email from him, any contact I had from him was wiped from my hard drive. Gone. Yeah. Everything was gone. We have strange things happen with the, our emails and things, too. But, you know, you never yeah. know if that, what it is. It could be just normal. But Yeah, so okay. I kind of well, understand how far I can go with them. Yeah. So uh, tell us, uh, before we burn up the ark completely, tell us about your website. Where can people find out more? Where can they get your books, et cetera? And what, what are sure. the books? Um, well, right now, Alien Deception is the only one. I've got Project Decor, which is a follow-up, uh, follow-up fiction book to that, which deals with the underground bases. And then I have my own personal experiences called We Are Not Gods. Um, I'm hoping that'll be out in fall. The problem with that is I've written it twice. I've deleted it twice because I just didn't feel it read properly. It's kind of hard to explain. But you know, a lot of people, you know, you get a lot of these books from people who are rushed to put something out. It's 190 pages of just gibberish crap. Yeah, oh, yeah, yep, yep. I didn't want that. I just it, every time I read it, it just didn't feel right. I said. Stop writing it. It's driving me nuts. But I'm back writing it. Hopefully it'll be done um, sometime in the fall. Get that out. But they can go to restrictedairspaceradio.com uh, or Tina Marie Entertainment, either one of those. But restrictedairspaceradio.com is the better one to go to. Um, it has all my um, past shows there. They can also go. Um, I've actually stopped doing my show on KDWN. We had a little contract you're on radio, you understand how those can work sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so right now I'm actually in the process of launching my own um, online digital radio station called uh, KCOR Radio. It's, um, so they can go to kcorradio.com. All my archives for my shows, my past guests are there. They're free. They don't cost you anything. Um, enjoy and let me know what you think. Very good. Okay. Uh, now, Having said that, who is the? We were intrigued by your mention of the Las Vegas UFO hunter. Who, who, and what is that? Okay, well, you know, this is going to be a very. I'm not going to mention his name. No, no, please I'm not. not. Give no. Him, I'm not going to give him credence, or whatever. But there's one thing I've noticed in ufology is if you want to make money in this field, if you want to have a thousand people, two thousand, five thousand people following you, create hoax and fakes. Yeah. Throw up you know, drones, throw up, you know, aircraft. There's a gentleman that supposedly catches UFOs out here every night of the week. Um, and when I approached him and I tried to leave comments that, hey, this is what you're seeing, this is the commercial air traffic coming in from Karen, I, I know where you are, you're in this location here, this is this, this is the new flight pattern coming in, they flipped it up. You know, he's videotaping stuff a lot of sometimes on Friday, Saturday night. Well, you go out on a Friday night, there's like 15 planes lined up with white lights. I mean, it, it looks like a Phoenix lights coming in if you're from a distance. Well, McCarran is one of the busiest airports I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and he was, you know, not only that, but if you've got red flag events going out here at Nellis, you've got, you know, Nevada is one of the few states that allow drones now that can fly in commercial airspace. Hmm. So we have all the, in fact, Tonopah is where every single drone pretty much in the world, wherever it is, is flown out of Tonopah. Really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't so know that. Huge, yeah, all the drones are flown out of Las Vegas here. So you constantly have drones. If you have red flag, you have international craft 
new craft all flying when they're, you know, flares dropping. I mean, there's a lot going on in the airspace. And this gentleman, I made a comment. He took offense to it, blocked me, started trashing me, which really ticked me off. Um, he disabled all his com- comments. So now all his comments on YouTube, you can't leave a comment if you know what it is. He contacted MUFON. MUFON did an investigation. They told him this is what it is. He didn't like their answer, <laughs> so mm-hmm. he trashed them. <laughs> and he proceeds to keep putting out these videos, even though they're, you know, and what's even worse is two of the people, uh, he's a web, website designer, two of the people that he is known friends with are also into, um, they do graphic design for movies out in Hollywood. I see. All right. Well, you know, like we get we get the drift. Uh, you know that that's unfortunate, and that's that's the state of the UFO field, unfortunately, at this point. So, uh, before we um, have to end the show here, give us an update, Tina, if you would, um, on the latest UFO news from Nevada in particular and the Southwest in general. Uh, well, you know, there's been a lot of different sightings. Um, and a lot of people are saying that it's a couple of the new crafts that are being tested out at Area 51, which partly is true. Um, the maneuverability of these things are that. But um, we've had a lot of different UFO reports out here of just weird, just weird craft. Now, again, most of them are probably commercial or, or drones. And if you've ever seen some of the new drones they're testing, um, they look very, very interesting um, indeed. Yeah. You're not going to hear about them. But... We've had, what I found interesting is there's been a lot of people out here on the West who have had, uh, who are coming forward with that contact experience um, more than ever. And I don't understand, you know, I don't know personally why. It's been a combination of different things. But I think it has something to do with a lot of the different, whether it's seismic activity going on in California. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. It seems to correlate um, a lot of the UFO effects uh, or reports have been coming in around those national things. We've had a lot of sightings lately over Lake Mead, and Lake Mead, for whatever reason, is at its lowest point it's ever been since it was put uh, since they created the lake back in the 30s. Yeah, I've heard that. Wow. So you know, people think that maybe it's you know there's something going to be uncovered down there, and that's why there's a lot of UFO activity. Yeah, well, maybe. Now, one thing we notice in our work, and that's how we got into UFO studies, which we we are not UFO experts by any means. As you said, we're primarily uh, ghost researchers, but we're uh, we're being asked to speak at a lot of UFO conventions lately because of in the interest in a sort of what we refer to as pan paranormal phenomena. In other words, when you have one sort of phenomenon uh, going on in an area, very often there are other kinds of seemingly unrelated paranormal phenomena, such as, you know, you have UFOs, people are saying, very often they'll be complaining about ghost or poltergeist activity in their homes or, or in the, the nearby woods or wherever. Uh, there might be uh, cryptozoological things going on at the same time, and we feel they're all related, uh, if only by the process by which they manifest. Do you... Um, find other f- sorts of phenomena going on when you run into cases of uh, sightings and this sort of thing, or does it, does it uh, sort of take up all your time just to keep track of the sightings? Well, there's, there's two, it's a twofold question. First of all, I think people who have had experiences, yeah, a lot of them tend to have um, other paranormal activity, and I think that tends to go with whether it's raising your vibrational frequency or whatever. We all vibrate at a certain frequency. We all only see about like 10% of the natural light around us. And I think certain people, um, you know, 
it's sort of like some people who are nearsighted, some people are farsighted. Well, I think that's kind of what happens, and I think people who have had experiences, for whatever reason, it raises that frequency, and then they start being more in tune around you. Now, the second point, you also have to look at it, that in ufology, there has been a shift, especially from people who have been in it for 20, 30 years, that they have gotten away from the being from another planet and are on the starting to buy into the interdimensional, paranormal, ghost-type correlation. Yeah, in some cases, yeah. There. Yeah, and I think there's a shift, and I think some of the newer people who are writing about their experiences, their experiences tend to be along that line, and I think that's why they're trying to incorporate more of the, the ghost phenomenon in there, because I think people who are contactees can experience or share some of those paranormal experiences that tend to follow them, like you said, after they've had an experience. Well, have you yourself had uh, any other sorts of paranormal experiences even before you moved to Vegas? You know, before I moved to Vegas, I had, you know, little things. You know, nothing major, but little things. It was interesting as I have a now 11-year-old son, uh, but when we were back in Massachusetts, he always talked about his imaginary friend called Binko. And things would happen at the house or in his room when we weren't in there, and we'd go in, and he's like, Binko did it, I didn't do it. And That's I always thought that was weird, and I'd never paid much attention until we came out here. Yeah. And then I started talking about UFO stuff, and, and he started saying, oh, yeah, I used to have a, used to have a little friend that used to come to my, my room all the time. Uh-huh. You pay attention uh-huh. to children when they say things like that. We had a, a, a case in Connecticut where uh, the little boy who was uh, four, or a little, slightly less than four, said, oh, his invisible friend was in the tree. We got some infrared shots of the tree, and sure enough, there was this thing coming down out of the tree, which is quite, <laughs> quite remarkable. So I listen to kids. <clears throat> so, yeah. all right. So, um, tell us. Uh, take a minute now, uh, Tina, if you wouldn't tell us about the charity that you're going to be supporting when you come back home here to New England. You know, we have. Uh, well, I have a couple charities that I always support. I, out here, I'm a, I'm a huge golden retriever lover, so I support the golden retrievers out here. Um, I also have my my kids' book. Uh, which just came out called The Case of the Missing Sneaker. Part of that proceeds was going to the Child um, Bereavement Fund in the U.K., which was Joey Essex's charity. So any of my proceeds from that book, my profits, are going directly to that charity until um, September. And then when I come out here, I've actually, I'm a professional bowler. So we have a, a charity uh, event for my old boss uh, who passed away years ago, and the bowling center that I grew up in, believe it or not, it was built in 1960. It's still around. Huh. <laughs> so I'm going to be coming back and, and bowling um, as part of this charity event to help raise money um, for the fund that they have. Oh, very good. For the, and they give out scholarships and stuff like that, which is kind of neat. Okay, very good. And just uh, just before we end here, um, do you um, have any advice for anyone who believes that they've had an abduction experience? You know, Should they talk about it? When should they talk about it? How should they talk about it and to whom? The best thing to do is to try to seek out groups. Um, In groups. Make sure the okay. group, yeah, make sure groups, like we have out here, Misha Johnson, she does a superb job out here. for. Uh, she calls it the Starseed Support Group, but um, it started out as a UFO group for contactees, and a lot of contactees still go. But really watch because there are a lot of researchers who come to these groups, prey on people like this, take their stories and throw them in a book. Yes, <laughs> yeah. money off the book, yeah. and these people aren't getting their story. But if they've had an experience, they need to seek out people. I mean, I chat with people all the time worldwide, but chat to people who have had experiences, share. I've always said that 
we all have a small piece of the puzzle. And the more of us experiences that get together and put those pieces on the table, the better the picture is going to come because disclosure is not going to come from our government. It's not going to come from researchers. It's going to come from people who have had experiences that put their stuff out there and they connect with others around the world. Okay. Um, we've got a, just maybe time for one quick question. Why, why the secrecy? Does the government really know that much? Um, why the secrecy? I mean, we live in a world where people are used to the, the Klingons and Star Trek and all sorts of aliens. Why the secrecy still? Personally, my take is I, I think the secrecy was started years ago. It's now manifested into its own entity to where if the government were to think come out now and say, oh, yeah, we've had it, it would be even less distrust than we already have for our government. That would be difficult. But I also think, yeah, and I also think you have, you know, 90% of the population on this planet believe in some form of religion. The problem with most of these forms of religion is they don't allow into their man-made religion, their Bibles, their Quran, whatever you want to put it in, none of them allow for life outside this planet. I'm not so sure about that. Well, you name me one religion that that has any kind of belief system besides what was man-made and put on this planet. Okay. Well, there it is. Tina Marie Cowett, <laughs> thanks for a great interview. And uh, thanks thanks again. We'll, we'll see you when you come up here. Make sure you get in touch. And uh, again, Tina, uh, uh, t- give us your website again, Tina Marie Entertainment. Yeah, Tina Marie Entertainment or RestrictedAirspaceRadio.com. Very good. Thanks a lot. All Talk right. Thank you, you, Paul. Thank you, Ben. Good luck thank tonight you. on Coast to Coast. Oh, yeah. We should be luck staying awake. That's what I'll need. <laughs> okay. Have some coffee. All right, guys. Bye. All right, good Bye. night. So you heard it, folks. If you have insomnia tonight, I'll be on. The, I'll be the guest on the Coast to Coast AM, the second half of the show with George Nury, three to five AM our time here on the East Coast. You can hear it on any of five hundred and seventy radio stations that syndicate it, and it's all over the internet and the apps. Uh, George and I will be talking about the paranormal in American history, kind of unusual, indeed, uh, with with an emphasis on the Bell Witch case. Alrighty, so on Saturday, September 5th, we're scheduled to speak once again at the Exeter UFO Festival in uh, Exeter, New Hampshire. The town-wide event is organized by the Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. Uh, other speakers include uh, this evening's guest, and uh, or, or last week's guest, I should say, that was Stan Friedman, along with Richard Dolan and many other UFO greats. We'll provide information about that as the date approaches. Uh, Saturday, October 10th, uh, we'll once again be speakers of the Greater New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Other speakers will be very many, the same as Ben just mentioned, pretty much, and uh, there'll be more information as we go. Okie doke. Uh, don't forget to visit our show website. That's BehindTheParanormal.com with all sorts of goodies for you, including nearly uh, 600 free podcasts uh, on, from both our shows on ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio along with special shows and podcasts. Now, we're all aware of the terrible earthquake in Nepal recently, an especially terrible thing uh, to happen to the nicest people in the world. Before we recommend a charity, we check it out thoroughly. And if you can donate to help the Nepal earthquake victims, Ben and I recommend Action Against Hunger. It's an American charity where nearly 87% of what you donate actually gets to the people who need it, as opposed to uh, administrative expenses, etc. So if you buy any of our my books, uh, there are four written by me at BehindTheParanormal.com at the bookshop there. Before uh, this coming Saturday, May 9th, we will donate $1 for each purchase to Action Against Hunger to help the Nepal um, earthquake survivors. And you can find my books also at Amazon.com, etc., and the usual uh, suspects there. 
And uh, there are two new books just released by Global Communications. I'll talk about one tonight, and that will be... Um, uh, the Bell Witch Project. Well, the Bell Witch Project and the UFO Repeaters, which has our good friend Joe Ferrier here. Alrighty, so next Monday, May 11th, here on ON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, we welcome in studio Mexican native and full-blooded Aztec shaman, that is uh, uh, Ur- uh, Ruben Uritia. We leave you this evening with a quote attributed to that old sweetheart, Albert Einstein. If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.